Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and this is my co-host Joey. Hey, how's it going? And today we're talking about Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas. Just because I cannot see it doesn't mean I can't believe it. You know, I think this Christmas thing is not as tricky as it seems. And why should they have all the fun? It should belong to anyone. Not anyone, in fact, but me. Why, I could make a Christmas tree. And there's no reason I can find I couldn't handle Christmas time. I'll bet I could improve it too. And that's exactly what I'll do. <laughs> Eureka! This year, Christmas will be ours! This is a American stop-motion animated spooky Halloween fantasy Christmas musical. Directed by Henry Selick. The cast includes Danny the Elfman, Prince Humperdinck, Pee-wee Herman, Fode, and Mrs. Frankenstein. I watched this movie on Disney+. Plus. Joey, how did you watch it? I also watched it on Disney+. Plus. All right, so we are going to start this episode off with a comprehensive recap, just in case it's been a little while since you've seen The Nightmare Before... Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas. So, Joey, why don't you go ahead and uh, give us that recap? Okay. Jack Skellington is the favorite skeleton son of Halloween Town. There, he and the other townsfolk prepare all year for Halloween. After another successful spooky season, everyone wants a piece of Jack. The vampires say, you're such a scream, Jack. And the witches say, you're a witch's fondest dream. The mayor is already preparing for next year's Halloween and wants Jack's input. And Sally, the female Frankenstein's monster, really wants to see what makes that skeleton heart tick. There's, there's definitely a boner joke in there, but I'm better than that, goddammit. <laughs> Despite the praise and admiration, Jack is having a crisis. He is tired of doing the same thing every year. All the spooking, the scaring, the treating, the tricking. Jack Skellington, the Pumpkin King, he's tired of Halloween. Jack goes for a long walk in the forest accompanied by his ghost dog, Zero. Soon, he wanders into a part of the forest he does not recognize. He comes across a ring of trees, each with a uniquely shaped door representing an American holiday. He is drawn to the door shaped like a Christmas tree, and when he opens it, he is sucked inside. There, he is transported to Christmas Town. Christmas Town is very unlike Halloween Town, and Jack is fascinated by the traditions, aesthetic, and feeling of Christmas. Is this what he's been looking for? Jack returns to Halloween Town and hosts a town meeting. He attempts to explain Christmas to his fellow citizens, and although they are enthusiastic, he fears that he has not adequately explained what Christmas is. Jack becomes obsessed. He reads all the books he can find on Christmas. He conducts scientific experiments, and he decorates his house with Christmas things in order to figure out what it is he's missing. Finally, he decides that he believes in Christmas, even if he doesn't really understand it. Halloween Town becomes a Christmas operation. They build toys, reanimate some flying reindeer, and even kidnap Santa Claus, whom Jack refers to as Sandy Claus. Jack tasks Sally with making him a Sandy Claus outfit, but she persists, insisting that this whole scheme will end in disaster. Jack, being a male protagonist whom everyone loves, ignores Sally and her womanly reason, and on Christmas Eve he flies into the sky with a sack full of horrible monsters disguised as toys. When Jack delivers the presents, he is followed by a chorus of screams and frantic calls to the police. The police, overwhelmed, call the military to shoot Jack Skellington out of the sky. Which they Jack... respond so quick to. Like, Fine, <laughs> let's get him. This is such a pro-military movie. <laughs> Jack falls to earth and is forced to admit that this whole thing was a mistake. A conclusion he reached totally on his own without any input from anyone. However, <laughs> he is not kept down from long and soon finds himself brimming with inspiration for next year's Halloween. He returns to Halloween Town where he rescues Sally and Sandy Claus from the sentient pile of bugs called Oogie Boogie. Santa, unhappy but free, saves Christmas despite Jack's best efforts. The end. Very comprehensive. Very well done, Joey. And I think it Thank sets you. us up nicely to uh to discuss this movie now that it's fresh in our minds let's start with our pros and cons joey what did you like about tim burton's the nightmare before christmas this is such a wonderfully unique movie uh there's an incredible vision so much detail and love put into this world completely unique characters that just fit so perfectly into this the whole theme a top-notch animation just amazing and some great songs what about you what did you like about it 
this this movie has Tim Burton movie magic, something that I love to see. Uh, Tim Burton's influence on many different films is very noticeable, um, and this feels like one where it's he really gets to have total influence. Uh, you know, in part of that is like his creepy aesthetic. Halloween Town feels like just you jumped right into Tim Burton world. Unique character design. Uh, no two characters in Halloween Town look the same. They've got some great songs. I think this the there's some great ones in here, um, and some other ones. And then there's beautiful there there are beautiful sets. Uh, the the plot is simple. It doesn't try to get too overly complex. And then mainly, I want to say just stunning stop motion. Like this movie is amazing to look at from start to finish. Uh, and I, I really love the medium. So, okay, so those are my pros. Let's move on to our cons, and I'll start. I, um, like I was saying before, I think a lot of the songs in this movie are similar to each other and forgettable and mostly used for telling us how the characters are feeling. And some of them aren't even spoken or even sung, they're spoken through parts of it, which to me isn't really a song when you're just talking. Mm. I know I'm getting into Ben Shapiro critiquing rap music territory here, <laughs> but I'll just I'll stick with what I can what I can say concrete was that a lot of them are similar and forgettable and don't stand out like some of the ones that do stand out like Making Christmas or What's This, ones that mm. really evoke uh, a little bit more emotion. Um also, I felt like the Sally and Jack love story is totally forced and we ship them just because it feels good, but it's not necessarily earned. Uh, yeah, what I totally you, agree with that. What did you not like, Joey? I feel like the story itself is kind of weak. Like, it's not really clear to me what exactly Jack's plan is throughout the movie. And I'll talk a little bit more about, about that later. And I think Jack's arc overall is also pretty weak. Like, there's never really a fall from grace for him, you know? Mm-hmm. So he's just, like, on top the whole time. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I didn't find that very compelling either. Okay, well, those are our pros and cons. Let's dive into the details here in our overall section. And I'll get us started off by asking, is this a Christmas movie or a Halloween movie? And I say it's both, okay? This movie celebrates both the horrors of Halloween and the joys of Christmas before combining them and making a huge mess. It's, uh, I think it's a rare combo that makes this movie versatile. You can watch it at Christmas or at Halloween. But I'd actually recommend watching it at Christmas because Christmas is discovered and explored in this movie as opposed to Halloween, which is more or less established at the beginning uh, and then left alone as far as exploring what Halloween is. I don't really agree because I think the aesthetic is way more Halloween-centric than it is Christmas-centric. You know, watching this movie right now in the in the Halloween, no, sorry, in the Christmas season, it's like like it's not exactly the kind of thing you were looking for. You're like, oh, the kids aren't getting good presents. They're getting these horrible like monsters as presents, you know. And like during Halloween, during kind of the spooky season, you're like, ah, you know, this is uh, you know, this is appropriate. I, I'm feeling like a little tricky. I'm feeling a little like mischievous, you know, feeling a little bit more on the dark side. And uh, and that's kind of what this movie is playing with, like in a in like a fun, cute way, right, with its little characters. But like during the Christmas time, it's a little bit more disturbing. It's like you're thinking about how you would go downstairs and, to, and a, a snake is eating your tree. Like that would ruin your Christmas. Like that's not so much like that's not a fun Christmas time thing. That's like a fun like Halloween prank. You know right, what I mean? But, right. But Christmas is constantly at like in the throes of chaos in Christmas movies where Christmas might not happen and Christmas might get canceled. That's just another mm. plot point. And I guess what I'm trying to say is they – they literally explore the idea of what is Christmas in this movie, which I feel like is in the vein of a lot of Christmas movies where they're like, what is Christmas? Let's try to decide what it is. The characters that are doing that don't necessarily have to be Christmassy. I think that they just focus on the concept of Christmas and trying to explore that as opposed to Halloween, which is already glorified and fully uh, you know, uh, uh, developed within Halloween Town. And while they do exist within that aesthetic, you can't avoid the fact that they love creepy stuff Mm -hmm. the characters are all pushing towards this idea of christmas throughout the movie which is why i feel like it's slightly more appropriate at christmas but like i said it's versatile you can watch it at both yeah i still think it leans more toward the halloween side because it spends most of its time in halloween town you know it's spending most of its time with the halloween characters you spend a, a tiny amount of time in christmas town right just kind of getting the idea of what christmas is but like it's not like the elves are teaching these 
uh, monsters how to make toys or anything. You know, they're just like on their own, like in Christmas in Halloween Town, you know, doing their own thing basically. So it, it like there's there's a there's a Christmas element to this, but it really does feel way more Halloween centric. But what are they talking about in Halloween Town for most of it? They're trying to right. just figure out what Christmas is, like what well, that's a presents do. And they keep pulling it back. I, th- I think, yeah, I think we were, we're covering the same ground multiple times. But um, I, I think it's a, at the very least we can agree that it's appropriate to watch at either potentially if you want to, <laughs> either or neither. <laughs> but really, what I, I think that again we're getting into a semantic argument like we did with uh, Die Hard. But I think that what's really important to take away from this movie, at least in my opinion, is that. This movie shows what's possible with stop motion animation. Everything feels so smooth that you quickly forget you're watching stop motion. You're transported to this fictional world. There's like, it's hard to describe, uh, um, I think, but the word I kept coming back to is tactile. Like this, mm. every feel, everything feels extra tactile because of the level of detail that can be achieved through stop motion. The smoothness of Jack's bald skull or the coarseness of Oogie Boogie's burlap sack uh, or the rubberiness of, do- of the doctor's exposed brain. Everything feels like it has a little bit more texture in this medium. And it's just fun to see all the different things that they choose to animate um, throughout. I mean, like one, one shot that sticks out in my brain from my childhood was the shot of scooping the soup through the spoon with the holes in it. Yeah. And it just, it looks so real. And it, it's just one of those things where it, it's, it takes so much work to achieve such like every single shot. Um, and, I, and I really appreciate that when it all comes together. And it's just this beautiful masterpiece. Yeah, the character design is amazing, I think, in, in addition to like the way it's animated. You know, like Jack is so long and spindly, right? Which gives him all this mobility to like kind of like move around in all these weird ways. But he's also like when he stands up straight, he's like very important, right? So it gives him like this kind of air of like authority in a way. Um, and then he's got this permanent smile on his face because he's a skeleton. So he makes makes him seem kind of approachable, <laughs> I guess, to like, people <laughs> in the town. They all like, they all love him. And then like, Sally, who can like take herself apart and put herself back together, that's like a really unique character trait that I think is used really cleverly throughout yes. this movie. Yes, um, definitely. And then you got like the mayor with two faces, like uh, the, the yeah the, the, the scientist with the uh, his brains exposed. They, <laughs> he can they have these, scratch his own scratches brain. his brain because that's like how you think, I guess. Uh, <laughs> the vampires that hold umbrellas because it's always sunny out, and the guys with axes in their heads, like. And even like the little kids, uh, lock, stock, lock, shock, and barrel, like they're all so unique. They they don't, they are not. They like they have this aesthetic of being Halloween creatures, but they're like totally not what you expect. I guess they're not the same tired old like mummies and werewolves, you know, or like something like that. It's all like unique monsters that are created for this movie and fit so perfectly in this world. It's uh, it's really really great. Yeah, no, and it's like every single individual in Halloween Town is unique, even if they're multiples of the same thing. Like each vampire looks different. The each yeah. witch looks different. Uh and then beyond that, most of them aren't even the same like species or character. Most of them are just standalones all the way through. Like you have that guy who is made out of caramel or something. Like he was <laughs> Yeah, he was like Jack sticky. always touches that guy. <laughs> 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 which is hilarious i mean it's good because you get to witness uh like as the viewer you get to watch what happens when someone touches that guy which is always exciting i guess but if you think about it it's kind of weird that jack is always like going out of his way to like tap that guy on the head yeah uh, but you know and, and then like you've got the werewolf who's like still busting out of the clothes that he apparently turned into like how long ago was he a human is he ever a human or is he just <laughs> right. ever gonna get new clothes but um that but yeah exactly what you're saying like, like it's it's uh, I, I feel like Halloween Town reminds me of the afterlife in Beetlejuice uh, because it, it kind of has that same like wackiness. Obviously, it's similar because it's spooky, but it has like that same like wackiness. But there still seems to be some sort of order that makes everything work. But we don't necessarily need to know all, all the rules. Right. Uh, it, it's just it kind of it just works. And we get to explore that for our brief stay in Halloween Town. Christmas Town feels like an off-brand version of Whoville from Dr. Seuss's <laughs> yeah, How the no, Grinch it Stole Christmas. It definitely feels that way. And it, yeah. it's, yeah. Um, I, I think, I think like Beetlejuice, this movie's biggest strength is the world. 
like just the entire theming of it, just the characters that are in it, and then just the the feeling that you get when you're in there is also perfect, you know. And I think that's what like boosts it to its iconic status um, more so than anything else in this movie. It it really is the world that has been created for this movie. That is, I to the I absolutely yeah uh, I totally um, agree attribute. Like the the plot is simple and it's or rather it's not like super ambitious. I don't think it's like you said. I don't think it's like the most important part of this movie. I think it's just mostly a foundation on which the magic of this movie sits upon. I I mostly want to see all the epic stop motion magic and explore this world and all the characters that are in there. But our characters have to be compelled to do something. So like yeah. that's why we have the plot that we have i guess is what i'm trying to say like i obviously i would always ask for better i would rather have uh, like a the story of the nightmare before christmas be something that's that's why you watch it is cuz like oh there's such a great story there's a lesson to be learned or there's something to the plot that is actually you know and we can talk about what we think that we get, we learn from this movie a little later but i i think for what it is it's fine, and the the awesome world of uh, like that they create here it sits on top of that. Like, there's so many things you could ask. Like, why is Oogie Boogie down where he is? Is he trapped in there? What role does he play in Halloween Town? If it's okay for Jack to kill him, why didn't Jack already kill him? <laughs> These are all questions that don't really need answers, right? That's not. It's not that deep. Yeah, but like, I, yeah, that's the thing. It's like there's there's lots of plot holes you could say about like how certain things worked or how people knew things when they knew things. But like, I think this, the story itself feels so, I don't know, there's, there's something about it that's, that's kind of weak. It's, it's not, it's kind of tenuous in the way that it's told. And I was like, I remember watching this. Um, I, I, I saw this for the first time when I was older, but even when I, when I watched it a few years ago, I still remember um, being confused about what Jack's plan was. Like, I, and I, even this time I'm like, what exactly is he trying to do? I understand that he wants, like, he wants to do Christmas, I think. Like, I, I got that, but what does that mean? Like, does he want to celebrate Christmas? And then later on, you're like, okay, so he wants to deliver the toys, but does he want to deliver the toys with, like, spooky toys? Like, does he want to right. do, like, a Halloween twist on Christmas? Or is he just genuinely trying to do what Christmas normally is, Right. Because either way, he's kind of fallen short. You know, like he's not really doing either that well. And then, like at the end, I like uh, Santa says uh, something to um, to Jack. He says, um, yeah, "The next time you want to list take decide to take someone's holiday, I listen to her." And then he points to Sally because Sally's been the voice of reason this whole movie. Um, and then at that point, I'm like, "Oh, okay." So he's like taking over the holiday from Santa Claus and like his own kind of aesthetic, I guess. So it's like not until then that I actually understood what Jack's plan was. Maybe I just wasn't paying close enough attention. You know, I think in our intro quote, he kind of says like, We're, I'm going to do Christmas my own way. Like I can do it even better than it's been done in the past. But I, I honestly, at that point, I was watching him make an electric chair. <laughs> I wasn't thinking. <laughs> like, yes. Oh, what's, what's he saying? right Well, here? and so, I felt like that was effective. Uh, I don't know. Symbolism. To, to because he rips the lights off of the Christmas tree, which is traditional Christmas, and he's like, I can make Christmas my own, and he wraps it around an electric chair and pulls the lever, which would, you know, kill the person sitting yeah. in the chair, but it lights up the lights, which I thought was, I don't know, it was clever and fun, but again, it's like, what's the morality here? Is it's like, Jack is just going to, I, I'm just going to ruin Christmas, you know, like, that's <laughs> how I'm going to do it, right? It's like, what exactly is he trying to accomplish here? Does he... Does he pull off his scheme? Was his plan to put monsters in scare little kids, like in their presence and scare, scare little kids, in which case he actually pulled it off? Or yeah. was he trying to become Santa and literally do a good job at Christmas, in which case he completely missed the point and failed entirely? So I, I don't know if it, I'm, I'm with you. It doesn't seem clear. Uh, yeah. In either and direction. like, it's like I could understand if he thought, like, oh, like, screams are what people want you know like my yeah. holiday is all about scaring people it's the monster zinc like, uh give, yeah giving yeah. right exactly giving people like uh like a kind of an unsettling feeling you know and that's what people really want um but then he goes to christmas town and he has this entire like he's overwhelmed by that feeling of christmas um and he like understands that there's something else out there and then so is he trying to convey that i guess like is he trying to 
uh, spread cheer and love, or is he trying to scare people because he thinks that's actually what people are craving? I guess is like from his tilted kind of perspective, from being a Halloween character, he's like, you know, this is uh, this is the true like. This is the pinnacle of human emotion, I guess, is like being afraid. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, it, it's not really clear what his like, like what he thinks is good or not, or like what he th- what his goal is, I guess. Yeah, because you could have a version of the story where it's clear that Jack gets it and get Jack wants to do a good job at Christmas, and he employs his entire town to help him, and they don't get it, and that ends up being the monkey wrench in his operation. But it's not clear that Jack gets it either. It seems like yeah. he's totally fine with hanging uh, a wreath that t- immediately turns evil as soon as he <laughs> leaves, you know, <laughs> stuff like that, where it just seems, yeah, it's unclear what Jack's motivation is here or what he's trying to accomplish. Um, right. It's, it, it, it's kind of like what you just said, though, is like he seems to have gotten this idea of it, you know, it's like... um. It's like the allegory of the cave, right? He goes out into the sun and he comes back and he's like, I have an idea of like the perfect version of something. And he tries to explain it to people and they all think he's crazy. Right. He's like, ah, and, and like his his kind of interpretation and his words he uses is not adequate enough to explain this thing in full uh, force. And so the people inside don't, uh, people in Halloween Town don't quite get it. And yeah. so they, they have, and then, but still he's like, he's like offering suggestions and he's like, oh, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. But he's not like willing to go far enough to say, no, this is all wrong. We had to start over. You know, he's like, ah, oh, you know, this is good. This is close enough. We're, we're getting it. I think. That's a good point. It, it, Cause he does talk about how he's like, um, they're excited about it. And he, in the, at the end of his presentation, he kind of abandoned his original premise and goes straight for the Santa Claus is also creepy and scary like us. Right. And right. then, and, and everybody loves it and he's ex- they're excited and he's like, but I'm not, I don't think they get it necessarily. Um, so I, I don't know. They kind of do build towards that, but I, I, at the end, when he actually pulls off his scheme, it just seems unclear as to what exactly he's trying to accomplish. He's just going through the motions of Christmas, and whatever happens, happens. You know, right? Exactly. Like, is he supposed? Is he happy that people are screaming and upset, or is he, or is like something else? Yeah, I, I, I think the premise of this of like, like a Halloween character taking over Christmas is kind of a, it's like a fun, it's a fun, really interesting idea actually, and it's like it's such a cool way to do something, and it's something I would never have thought of. And like the mixing of Christmas and Halloween is such an interesting idea because they don't really go together. They're kind of opposites as far as holidays go. And like to put them in direct contrast to each other like this is really, it's like a really creative choice. But again, like it's the execution of the story itself. The execution of the animation, of the world, of the characters is wonderful. The execution of the story is really where it kind of falls apart for me. Yeah, I agree. And another part of that is the Jack and Sally love story where like so let's just let's just talk it through because it felt forced to me she she loves him from the beginning but honestly who doesn't okay he's the hottest thing in halloween town uh and meanwhile jack spends the entire movie basically ignoring sally until the end where jack still has to save she's still the damsel in distress and he saves her from oogie boogie Mm -hmm. uh and then he decides for no reason or at least not one that's apparent to us after the events of the movie that he sees her as someone he wants to be with. So they kiss in the moonlight because they're meant to be together. Okay. Like, my only caveat with that is that Santa Claus does say, like points to her and says, she's the only one with any sense around here. Right. And then he says something along the lines of, Oh, Sally, I didn't realize kind of thing. Like, and like she displays some bravery and cunning yeah. to no, save Santa Claus. Uh, they, well, throughout throughout the movie, actually, yeah. and um, but he's not there to recognize that, really. He's so. exactly, yeah. There's, I, I don't see where at any point Jack would truly have it. I mean, maybe he is like, man, Santa is really. I really love the things he says. That's going to influence me. But it doesn't seem like it. He kind of uh, bags Santa up and throws him into a dungeon for most of this movie. So it doesn't seem like Jack really has all that much respect for the the big man. <laughs> but, um. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I ship them. You know, I wanted to see them together. They're the two <laughs> most aesthetically pleasing male and female potential couple in this film. And I'm sure, sure I had nothing to do with why I wanted to see them together. But um, but it, it just, for me, it just felt like they did that because, you know, the Jack gets the grill. They want to have a kiss in the moonlight at the end and uh, kind of felt unearned. 
Yeah, a little bit. You know, and, and there is like she is kind of pining after him, but there's not really a, a um, reciprocal nature to that. You know, it's unclear that he even knows that she exists until he like calls for her specifically to make his suit for him. You know, which right. is a good call. She could sew pretty well. She sews herself fast back together all the time. Well, I mean. Wouldn't you think you'd ask the doctor to do that, actually? Because he sewed her initially. It, it almost mm. seems like the doctor didn't know she had that ability. Otherwise, he would have uh, stopped her from being able to jump out the window. It's Which, really un- what an awesome... Unclear. That was such a cool scene. Oh, yeah. Where, where she jumps out the window and then falls apart and then sews herself back together. I love that it. That was cool. That was really cool. Yeah, good thing her arms were still attached. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the... Uh, um, it's really unclear about like what the status of like like what this kind of I guess status of Halloween Town is like. Is it constantly in flux, or is it like this kind of like um, purgatory where like nothing changes and no one ever ages? You know, like oh, uh, like yeah, it's just like oh, uh, you know, Sally tried to poison the doctor again. Ha ha ha! Like you think that's gonna come to some sort of like head at some point? You know, you think you think somehow this is gonna make something happen? <laughs> like either the doctor's gonna die, or you know, Sally's gonna get kicked out, or or punished in some way that's like permanent. But um, no, it's just like yeah, you know, just a normal everyday occurrence that like we're gonna have him uh, <laughs> have her uh, try to kill him or something. You know, yeah, hurt him in some way. So it's just like a. And so, like, has Sally existed forever? Like, kind of, kind of how like Jack has kind of existed forever. Like, that's kind of the Im- implication, anyway. I definitely feel like it is. It leans towards the purgatory type thing, where there's those guys who literally live on the street outside of Jack's house and just play music all the time. Like, yeah, those guys don't have a place to go. This is just they're just there. Their always. existence. Yeah, yeah. That's like they're, what they're destined to do for eternity. Yeah. So. Which again, I think that gets into the territory of like thinking too hard about Halloween Town. It's like it doesn't it doesn't have to go that deep. But that's the thing too is like experience. I think you're right, but I also think like the world that they present you with begs the question of like what's going on? You know, what's it? What's Halloween Town like? Like other times of the year? It you know? def yes, and and I I agree with that, especially with the way that they open the movie, where they're like, you might not know where the holidays come from. Well, right. it's time you learned, and then they're like, we're not gonna tell you. <laughs> <laughs> not gonna go any further than just showing you and we're not actually gonna explain it at all so. <laughs> which by the way that opening scene and i guess just the idea in general makes this an american film the holidays that they bring up because yeah. the doors that we see at the beginning we see valentine's day we see saint patrick's day we see thanksgiving we see christmas and halloween Actually, if you pause it, you can briefly see what looks like a red shield that has white stars on it. Ooh. Yeah. Flag Day? Or or 4th of July? Well, I've seen people (laughs) say it could be 4th of July or or it could be some British holiday um, Mm. that also is red, white, and blue. The thing is, the IMDb trivia entry for this says that it's red, white, and blue, which could be, you would think, obviously, 4th of July. But it's not red, white, and blue. I looked at it myself, so I didn't. I what don't know. It? It, it literally it looks like a shield. It looks like a shield with a feather on top, and a, and it has like four stars that are not the same size on it. Hmm. Which doesn't <laughs> lead me to anything. Maybe it's some sort of uh, stand-in for generic secular holidays that have or could exist at some time. Right. So oh, it's, it's like, like a stand in for a future holiday. Yeah. Or a past holiday, or it's like this is anything else. Miscellaneous. <laughs> Miscellaneous holiday. No, like I thought it would be cool. Like I was thinking about this, like after I watched the movie, like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if there was some sort of like holiday politics? You know, like what if they had what the reason why they have those, those uh, trees there is because there used to be like a, a uh, some sort of convening of the holidays. Oh, and yeah. they would have like some sort of like UN type like a situation where they would decide what they were going to plan for the year. And like Christmas would be like the U S in which they're like really big and really powerful and also really dumb. Like they just get dumber (laughs) every year. And like Halloween's like rising through the ranks, like it's gaining more popularity, but like other holidays are like falling in like power. Like they don't have as much like a, 
much of a uh, political like a weight to throw around anymore. And Easter so, like, as a two party system, where right. one, like the religious side of it versus the secular side of <laughs> right, it. Right, right. It's always changing. Like, the, the, the Easter Bunny it. is currently the like leader, the the secular party of Easter. <laughs> eggs yeah, are yeah. more important. <laughs> eggs, the egg That's party the versus the Jesus party. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, so like that would be kind of like that. That's kind of an idea for like an expansion of this, you know, like have some sort of more interaction with the holidays. I mean, I guess I was I was thinking about like kind of like the logistics of something like that. It doesn't really make sense for them to be separate planes of existence. You know, it's not like Halloween Town is its own world. You know, right, right. It's got to be like its own little section of the world. And then you go to the tree that transports you to another part of the same world because Jack just kind of flies into the sun, into the, like, the moonlight. You know, he doesn't like go into a special door. It says there, here you go to the human world. You know, it's, right. it's, uh, it's, he's of the human world. He's just in a place you can't get to unless you're a Halloween creature or some sort. Right. And he was able to get back through a grave, which I thought was pretty cool. That was like yeah. a, a neat little link to the real world. So, um, yeah, you're right. This movie begs you to be like, ask questions, figure out how this fits into reality. But um, upon further inspection, it's a little disappointing to do that. And maybe so it's like built just, on skeleton bones. Right. <laughs> just take it at face value. But uh, but yeah, that's what makes it an American film. Is it's got all the American holidays and all the other countries can suck it because we are the ones who have <laughs> this movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, only other thing I want to touch on is just Jack's, uh, like arc, which is not really much of one, but he doesn't, I don't feel like he really learns anything throughout this. You know, he, he goes through the motions of, a, of Christmas. He goes through all these things. He's a little hesitant about whether he's going to succeed or not. Um, but then he goes, but he goes into it full force. And then when he's shot down, that's kind of his low moment, but it only lasts like a couple of minutes, you know? And then he's like right back up on it. He's like, wait a second. I could just go back to the thing I was doing before. <laughs> Which like I was is, I was right all along. I was right all along. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like an unsatisfying conclusion because it's not it doesn't feel like he like gained anything new from this experience, you know. It feels like he just failed and then was like, "Oh, you know, I should just keep doing the thing I was doing before and not try new things." You know. Well, okay, trying so, new trying new things is not a good idea. <laughs> well, that, yeah, exactly. Well, the way that I this is the lesson I took away from it, which was that they're trying to teach me, right? Was that Jack is having a midlife crisis. He's, right. he's a stat, he has an established life, something he's good at and everyone loves him. But for, you know, just for random reasons or just because he's suddenly having a midlife crisis, he decides he doesn't want to do that anymore and he wants to do something else. So he destroy like he totally switches and, and does something different fails dramatically at it and then has a new appreciation for what he normally does like it's just you know basically the the, the lesson is like stay stay in your lane and be happy there and i'm like <laughs> i, I okay. that is kind of what i feel i feel like that's not what it what they meant to say but i feel like that is the the lesson i get from this yeah um but yeah like nothing really changes you know which is kind of like what you it's kind of what you want, but you kind of want to see some growth from your characters, and you don't really get that from Jack. Um, he he really does seem like he was just like, whoop, uh, guess that didn't work, and on to the next thing, you know, back to where we were before. You know, he doesn't really face any consequences for for ruining Christmas or almost ruining Christmas, except for a stern word from Santa. And you kind of get the sense that like Santa doesn't have time to deal with skeleton creatures. He's just like. You know, this is my only day I work all year. You know, like, I need you to, like, step aside, please. Well, I wonder if you could make Jack Skellington into, like, part of Christmas lore, where it's, like, he becomes, like, the f like every year he's, like, the phony Santa, and then Santa has to defeat him to save Christmas. Mm. You know, like, that is his position as, like, some sort of Christmas character, is somebody who's, like, almost anti-Christmas, kind of like the Grinch. Um which would reinforce this movie as a Christmas movie, but mm, uh, I see, but I, I see where but, you're going for this. But I digress. <laughs> <laughs> okay, are you ready to move on to our cool Easter eggs? Yes. Uh, let's go ahead. You go first. What do you got? First thing I just want to point out, and I don't really have a good connection for this, but Lock, Shock, and Barrel are the names of the kids in um, this movie who are Oogie Boogie's henchmen who have masks that are cover up their horrid normal features but are shaped just like their regular faces um but that's I, this is a reference to lock stock and two smoking barrels which is a guy Ritchie film um which doesn't really have a 
connection to this movie really at all. I think maybe one of the producers may have worked on one or both, but it's uh, it's not really connected. But it's a uh, you know just kind of an interesting little uh, shout out to Guy Ritchie there. Wow, I didn't even catch that. It, they did. They were upfront about their names being Lock, Shock, and Barrel. Yeah. Uh, and also, I, I liked that they were who like I'm glad they included these characters because something that's a big part of Halloween is trick or treaters. So in Halloween Town, naturally, they have trick or treaters, and uh, and they're rotten. Yeah, they're kids, mischievous. Which, yeah, I do like their work. song that they sing, um, the kidnap the Sandy Claus song. That's that's pretty yeah. good. And how they're gonna like torture him and like <laughs> like lock him up for ninety years and stuff. Like what? Like what? Like, it keeps changing about what they're gonna do. Like well, we're gonna so put stupid. him in a cage and see if he talks. Like it talks about what? Like what are you trying to get from him? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're rotten. Yeah, they are. the uh, The other Easter egg I have is uh, Jack is writing on the blackboard when he's trying to decipher Christmas, and he has all these uh, different um, equations and numbers written on there. And yes. I was able to figure out a couple of them. So first, the first one is a uh, snowman times chestnuts over open fire, and over uh, in the sense of like divided by. So it's like right, chestnuts right, divided, divided by, open by open fire, but it's written in a way right. where you could still say chestnuts over open fire. There you go, and it's divided by a bell times twelve times this, or divided by the square root of December twenty fifth, uh, plus uh, the word Sandy and a picture of some claws. <laughs> And then it equals <laughs> Christmas question mark. So it's just a, uh, I don't know, like all these are Christmas references. And he's hoping that putting this all together will give him Christmas. Um, and so for some reason, he also has a, uh, the, the date 12, 25, 93, which is uh, the year this movie came out was 1993. So this was Christmas of that year. I uh, was written on the board. There's also 2564.22, which I could not figure out what that was. I looked up, I looked it up all over the place. I tried to like, put it into a bunch of different places. I even subtracted 12, I even subtracted that many days from the date that he wrote to find out. And that was, that was a date in 1986, which doesn't mean anything because this movie was a normally, was originally pitched in 1983 and then started production in 1990. So not really a connection there to anything. Can't figure out what this is. Nobody on the internet seems to know what this is or has even seemed to try. So um, <laughs> not, not really sure. The next one he has written on there is uh, three times pi squared times twelve equals hat. That which checks if out. You, if you if uh, you if you multiply that together, you actually get three hundred and fifty-five, and then some decimal places. And three hundred and fifty-five is the uh, the three hundred fifty-fifth day of the year is December twenty-first, which is the first day of winter, and also Jeffrey Katzenberger's birthday, who was a one of the uh, head executives at uh, Disney who helped greenlight this movie. So. Kind of a loose connection there. Not exactly sure what that means or if that's okay. coincidence. But uh, <laughs> there you go. And there's also a flying reindeer, which he draws like a stick figure flying reindeer, which I thought was pretty funny. Because like if you were just trying to give the like example representation of a reindeer for your like as like a mental shortcut, that's exactly what you would draw. It's just like a <laughs> stick figure with like little wings and it's got like a nose. <laughs> so that's And cute. all of this comes together on that blackboard to really give us the idea that Jack's been thinking hard about Christmas. So, uh, yes, it, it works. Yes. <laughs> so, um, one Easter egg I found was apparently in 2001, Walt Disney Pictures began to consider producing a sequel, but rather than using stop motion, Disney wanted to use computer animation, which uh, that all sounds like so typical cash grab Disney. <laughs> Tim Burton convinced but Disney. Nothing to- more Disney than let's make it again, but worse. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But Tim Ver- Tim Burton convinced Disney to drop the idea, and he says, I was always very protective of Nightmare, not to do sequels or anything of that kind, Burton explained. You know, Jack visits Thanksgiving World or other kinds of things just because I felt the movie had a purity to it and people like that. And I totally agree. Tim Burton is 100% right here. I think that having jack be have this special connection to only christmas like he's the halloween character who spent some time with christmas is way more uh you know compelling than jack skellington the halloween character who always gets bored of halloween and decides to check out other holidays yeah which uh you know i mean obviously i'm i'm anti unnecessary sequels so i'm glad tim burton is on that too and protects his no he like that's something again IP. like the tim burton seems to do really well it's like he gives you enough to play with in your head and then 
lets you run wild with in your own imagination. You know, he, he, uh, he plants the seed and then lets you figure it out for yourself, which is always going to be better than whatever he comes up with, you know, yes, because you're yes. he's never going to match your fanfic of this of this movie. Um, so, you know, you know, plant that seed, let people's imaginations run wild and don't like don't, uh, you know, ruin that by trying to make some more money. Yeah, exactly. And um, I mean, if you look at the fans of Nightmare Before Christmas, like they're still raving fans of it's like a cult following there's yeah jack skellington bumper stickers jack skellington license plate like borders there's, uh, people love uh, i have a friend who has a jack skellington tattoo like it, it's it's huge and i it doesn't need to have sequels to keep those people engaged yeah so definitely. um yeah I'm, i was happy to find out about that and then finally one more easter egg it took a group of around 100 people three years to complete this movie for one second of film, up to 12 stop motion moves had to be made. And that's that's how it is, man. Stop motion. That's why I appreciate the medium so much because I know the tedious uh, hard work that goes into it. And apparently this was pretty revolutionary at the time, the way that the processes that they did. Um, for instance, they had some sort of special lighting fixtures where if like a light broke, they could seamlessly replace it where mm. previous to this kind of technology, having a light break would destroy a shot because it was impossible to like Relight the exact same thing yeah um That's which i cool. thought was interesting i don't really understand the whole process of, of exactly what that meant but um it's still even with technological advances it's an extremely tedious process and um i, I just appreciate the finished product a lot knowing how much oh, work yeah. goes into it oh yeah and it, and like you said earlier it looks so seamless it looks so wonderful you know you forget you're watching a stop animation movie, which is like oddly the goal, you know, yeah. you do something so well, like you don't even notice it. That's yeah. And like the, yeah, it's just, it's just really, really perfect. Like the scene where Jack is walking up the curly hill with his long, long legs and the moon is right behind him. Like that is such a beautiful shot. Oh, and, yeah. and it's, it's crazy to think that this is just little miniatures and clay characters that you're looking at. Cause it's such yeah. a compelling thing to look at. But okay, that's our Easter eggs. Uh, Joey, I think you know what time it is. It is time for us to go a little deeper. All right, I'm, I'm excited to talk to you about this one. So there, um, in the movie, Jack is trying to figure out what Christmas is, but he can't quite get his finger on it, right? He's reading all these books. He's doing all these experiments, but he, he still is missing something. He knows he's missing something. Now, this actually is like kind of the premise for a very famous thought experiment uh which is called mary in the black and white room or the knowledge argument it's a thought experiment proposed by frank jackson in an article called epiphenomenal qualia uh in 1982 and it was extended in what mary didn't know in 1986 have you heard about this do you know about this uh, thought experiment you know about this one you guys heard about this thought experiment yeah, that's going around <laughs> no i haven't okay I'll lay it out for you. There's a researcher. Her name is Mary, and she's a scientist. She's an expert in the brain, um, but she's lived her entire life in a black and white room where she, there, everything in the room is some like grayscale variant, basically. She has a computer, but it's all black and white, like it's grayscale. She has books and stuff, but it's all in black and white. Um, but in she is the, like the world's most like expert in color and how our um, brains interact with color. Like she understands the process of seeing color. She understands uh, like how your brain interprets color, but she's never seen color. So the question is, when Mary opens the door to the black and white room and enters a world of color, does she learn anything? The, like, the question is, um, is there a difference between knowledge of something and experience of something can you exp like when you experience a, a qualia as the as uh, jackson describes it as when you just experience something is that different than learning about it basically now what this gets to is a um there's this kind of this discussion about physicalism versus dualism and physicalism is this line of philosophical thought that everything has a physical uh explanation so the feeling that you're the feeling of seeing something in color or like the feeling of being in love or the feeling of tasting something really delicious is not it's like 
it's a real feeling, but it's based on physical attributes in your brain. Like your taste buds are sending a message to your brain. It's giving you this pleasurable feeling, which is actually the release of certain chemicals in your brain, which gives you this feel like, you know, it makes your, your goosebumps uh, come up or something or makes your skin a little hotter or something like that, right? And that gives you this feeling of warmth or something. Um, uh, but dualism is the idea that your brain or your mind, you might say, is separate from your body. And the experience that you of um, of a like, phys like a physical reaction is just kind of an illusion. And there's an example for I have for you. For example, fear seems uh, to make the heart beat faster. But according to uh, epiphenomenalists, uh, the biochemical secretions of the brain and nervous system, such as adrenaline, not the experience of fear, is what caught, right, raises the heart rate. So it's kind of this like illusion of effect kind of thing. So Jackson would argue that uh, because like based on this thought experiment, right, it's pretty obvious that experiencing color is not the same as know, like as knowing about color. And when you exit, exit that room, you suddenly gain some sort of knowledge. And that knowledge is not quantifiable. That's not something you could ever read about, right? It's something that's totally different. So I guess the question is, what do you think? Do you think that is true? And do you think that's kind of true about Christmas? Do you think that has that qualia feeling? Ah, I like that, the way to pull it in. I, I do think that. I, I think that there's something... Like to answer the question, like if she opens the door into a world of color, does she learn anything? Um, I, I think there is some sort of intangible to having the actual experience of something. And maybe it's you can't write it out or uh, I mean, that's what makes it intangible, right? Is that you can't actually like describe it or put it down. But I think the actual experience is something that is different from just hearing about it or reading about it. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I definitely... I think there's something about that to Christmas as well. And it's part of what makes these semantic arguments about what is Christmas so stupid is because it's like Christmas is something and it's kind of a lot of Christmas movies kind of revolve around this idea where it's like Christmas is this kind of, uh, you know, uh, nebulous right. idea that everyone experiences in their own way. But when you experience it, you know it. That's when you say, okay, now this is Christmas. Now you know? this is Christmas. <laughs> so I, I think I fall on that side of the argument where there is some sort of like intangible um, phenomenon that happens uh, around the idea of Christmas that you know it when you feel it, you know it when you see it. And uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be something that you can write out and say like, this is explicitly Christmas and nothing else. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is like, you, it gets kind of complicated. This, this argument gets kind of complicated. And the, the way you describe that is actually interesting because there's a difference between metaphysical physicalism and uh, like, I guess, semantic, or I think it was called like literal um, uh, literature physicalism, which is the idea that like, there are certain things that are still in physical that um, there are certain things that are physical phenomenon right and aren't a part of you like a separate part of your soul or or mind but are impossible to describe using our language so it's like it's something so it's kind of like a compromise sort of in a way where it's like we can't we can't adequately describe it however it's still explained through physical phenomenon right sure where it you know what i mean which is different than it's something outside of scientific experience like it's something that you couldn't ever replicate in a lab you know it, it's something that has to come from a pure i guess like feeling or something like a, a pure experience i guess but then you get into like the whole like uh like experience machine type thing like if you were in a virtual reality environment could you convince someone that it was christmas and give them the same feeling that they were <laughs> in christmas right would that be the same feeling as being uh like experience christmas for real i don't know like that's that's a whole other uh, right. line of philosophy but i do like this thing especially since the how they explain how they explore it in this movie they kind of talk about how jack is like becomes his expert on christmas but spill doesn't doesn't get it you know there's still something about christmas specifically that like you can't quite capture um unless you see it for yourself, basically. No, I totally agree. It's such an interesting um, 
thought line. Like it, it's not something I've. Uh, I feel like I'd have to spend a little bit more time gathering my thoughts on this. Uh, but it, I I love how you tied it in with Nightmare Before Christmas because it, it really it literally is like the scientific approach. Yeah, to it Christmas. is. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Okay. Well, I think that wraps up our conversation on the nightmare before Christmas. As we do at the end of all of our episodes, we're going to uh, evaluate this movie with a rating. Joey, what's your rating for Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas? I give this movie some loose limbs that are re-sewn. Very nice. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I give this movie a Christmas wreath that has eyes and the hole is a mouth and it's evil and it tries to eat you. (laughs) (laughs) dang so there you have it that's what we thought of tim burton's the nightmare before christmas joey what's next on affable chat next we're doing a documentary called hyper normalization and um yeah so that look forward to that i've never seen it seen it or even heard of it so this will be an i have heard of it but never seen it And uh, so that's what we'll be doing next in the new year. I think we're this is actually going to wrap up all of our movie episodes for the year 2020. Um, so you can subscribe to us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. And wherever you listen to us, make sure you leave us a review. It really does help us grow. You can reach us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at AffableChat on all three or send us an email, AffableChat at gmail.com. We also have a YouTube channel. It's called Affable Chat. You can search for Affable Chat, and there are podcast episodes and other things like clips from your Twitch stream um, and other videos, too, on there. So check it out. Yeah, check it out. Like and subscribe. Affable Chat is live on Tuesday nights, 7 p.m. Eastern on Twitch. That's twitch.tv slash affablechat. That's going to do it for this episode. For Affable Chat, I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening.